from the Three Story Method Podcast Network. This is the Serial Fiction Show. I'm Christine Daigle. And I'm J.P. Reinbush. Welcome to the Reader's Serial Fiction Show. Today, we've got a YA fantasy by J.R. Frumling called The Fall of Avalon. I wish. Two words with more power than the magic of true love's kiss. Everything you think you know about the stories is wrong. The kingdom of Nod has existed since the beginning of time. The stories we weave makes the world they live. The world they live makes the stories we weave. But what happens when one of those worlds fall apart? Follow the tale of a young girl fighting to save her home from becoming just another legend in the pages of time. J.R. Fromling was born in Indiana, the second eldest of three. She met her first husband in an online writing community. She met her second husband at a board game convention in 2015. She has a Bachelor's of Science in Information Technology from Western Governors University of Indiana. She is currently a UIUX designer by day and a writer by night. She got her start writing in an online community for Star Wars fan fiction. Over the past 20 years, she has transformed that love of fan fiction into works of her own. And now, a sample of The Fall of Avalon, Episode 1. The distant rumble of thunder, like the beating drums of a far-off army, rolls over the shimmering city. His gaze turns upward with a censoring look. Hmph. He snorts forcefully through his nose. It gives the distinct imitation of a mule about to refuse to comply with any task any person dares to require of it. He is reminded of a time when he was considered nothing more than a mule. His masters all believed themselves to be clever. A smirk lingers across his face before he shifts the large sack. It is bulging at the seams with books, scrolls, and other randomly assorted baubles. It is not the normal fare for a man of his stature. With a cautious look over his shoulder, he picks up his pace. As he approaches the city's gilded gates, he frowns. The thunder bellows again in the distance, a promise of violence coming, and the clouds look as though an artist has dabbed them with the black watercolor for effect. With a firm hand, he rests his fingers on the lock of the gate. His other hand clutches the sack tighter. Open, says me, he murmurs. It's dangerous to use magic for such a trivial thing, but he has no time to march the three-mile trek around this newly minted cage. The main gates of Silver City would be guarded, and to be caught with this sack of things would be most unlucky. He carefully pulls the gate closed behind him to verify it locks again. Then he takes one last look to the south with a heavy sigh. He hoists the sack higher, turns, and migrates towards the buildings glittering in the late afternoon sunlight. He bobs and weaves through the busy streets of Silver City with no time for the luxuries he usually affords himself. The stout, dashingly aged man is weaving and nudging his path through the crowd of sellers and scamps alike. Today is the first in a plethora of days that he has entered the city in his true form, most unfortunate for those hunting him. The buildings behind him shimmer as if they had been sprinkled in pixie dust. They look like a painting had been captured and preserved for all to see. Everyone here plays their part, and no one here seems to care about the man rudely passing through. A few cast cursory glances in surprise when he passes, but that is due to hauling such an odd-looking assortment of things, more than to his behavior. Beads of sweat form on his temples, glistening against the ebony skin. Another snort emits from him as he hoists his bag back up onto his shoulder. He's looking for someone intently. He glances to the left, then right, followed by over his shoulder to reassure himself there is no one following him in this pursuit. 
Blast it all, where are they? Think, man, where would you go if you were their age? He stops and sets the bag carefully on the ground to draw out a small handkerchief, dabbing at his temple. His thumb gently plays over the delicate fawn embroidered in the corner. His last evening with her made him feel euphoric and jubilant. He knew when they met that his heart would melt for her, and he gently paws over her handiwork. He hopes beyond a wish that her sister knows nothing of the evening's festivities. But by the storm brewing in the distance, he would bet all of a soppy nation that she knows. He thrusts the cloth back into his pocket and retrieves his pocket watch. I'm late, he mutters. His temperament swings like the pendulum of the tower's clock. With a loud click, he clamps the intricately built pocket watch closed and tucks it back into his vest pocket. Aha! He crows to no one in particular. The sack swings up onto his shoulder with a newfound strength as his great strides lead him to the north. The shops here fall more into pleasantries rather than necessities. Gowns, slippers, jewelry, and, of course, wishes can be had for the right price. He snorts again at the thought of buying wishes. Anyone foolish enough to buy a wish deserves whatever predicament they find themselves in. Wishes, he grumbles. He stops dead in his tracks with his nostrils flare as he pulls in the scents around him. There is wheat and honey, along with sweat and grime. There is no visible grime in Silver City, at least not for long. The court does not allow it. Never in a million midnights did he believe princesses would be so much trouble. He has Jacob and Wilhelm to thank for that, no doubt. Of course! How could I have been so stupid? They're always there, foolish boys. Another glance over his shoulder and he turns into a seedy mark between the shimmering buildings, leaving the whirling whisper of autumn leaves in his trail. He trots down a cobblestone alley to a small wooden door with a broken and faded sign above it, the words long wiped from legibility, but everyone knows the place, the hole in the wall. The pixie dust is less glamorous here, and its true nature shines through. This place is older and looks to have been from a time before the glittering towers were erected. With a crashing thud, he slams open the door and squints in the hazy glow of the dimly lit tavern. His eyes adjust to the candlelight and his nostrils flare at the stale scent of honeyed ale again. The room bustles with activity. The tables are crowded with gnomes, fairies, humans, ogres, asapi, animals, and even a few wonderlanders. He would be proud of this moment if he were not in such a hurry to be gone from here. He is running late, after all. For a flitter of fairy wings, people look up and size him at the door. A few angrily wave him off, and others continue to watch cautiously. A stranger in their midst is never a good omen. His stature is large and demanding of attention. His hands can easily palm a dwarf's head, and his eyes look like two dimming embers amongst the inky shadow. With a quick lick of his lips, he ignores their judgment and narrows in on a table supporting four young gentlemen. Of all the Grimms, these four are the most prominent. Wilhelm, Jacob, William, and Hans are beloved by the court and princes in their own right. If it were not for their father's doing, they likely would have wooed away half the princesses to some less than wholesome storytelling by now. They are huddled over their pints and laughing at the misfortune of young Hans, who cannot hold his ale. He sways dangerously, but is laughing with them. William, closest to young Hans, grins like the cat who caught the canary at his devious lesson in teaching Hans to not loosen his lips regarding the power of wishes. "'What's all this?' the elder man grumbles. "'We're just having a bit of fun,' Jacob chortles, to which he gets a slow eyebrow-raised response from the beast of a man." Hans has decreed that any Nadian who can outdrink him this eve shall be granted their most desired wish, Wilhelm adds with great gusto. Wilhelm, not being very well known for keeping his mouth still either, is rewarded with a suddenly quiet pub. 
so quiet that the field mouse in the corner can be heard scuttling across the floor as she bolts into the tiny hole in the door. Much to his dismay, this did not warrant a good laugh or an eye roll from the elder man. Wilhelm demurely settles down and shrinks as the man hovering above them visibly seethes in response. All four young men grow silent and watch in awe as the elder man draws in a sharp breath. He does not need to make any motion at all. With a mere thought, he can erase all the memories of every soul in this pub, including his sons before him. However, making a point of showing them the price of their folly, he waves his hand in a slow circle above his head. A singular finger points to the ceiling, slowly and without any appearance of smoke, glitter, or whatever else magical creatures are supposed to create when they use magic, he traces an arc over his head. It starts with the few that stood up to approach. They are momentarily dumbfounded. Then, seeing their own pints, they quickly move back to them. The laughter and music resumes, the arguments, the rattle of dice, and jangle of coins all fill the air as it appears that not a soul had just heard that a grim was about to award wishes. Every single patron is lulled back into their mundane visit to the pub as his finger completes the circle it was tracing in the air. William starts to say something, but is silenced by a touch from Hans. The elder man leans onto the table, his clothes now sweat-soaked and crumpled. The man's shirt is singed, and his hands tremble. Hans is up and out of his seat, drunkenly stumbling toward him. "'Father, what has happened?' He comes to the man's side and tries to usher him into a seat, only to be shoved off and growled at by his father. "'Sit down, you fool. I'm fine. I have no time. I'm late. Gather those things most precious to you that you can carry. No horses, no carts, and by Merlin, do not use magic. Meet me at midnight at the eastern gates of the Garden of Nim. Tell no one. Bring no one. Do not be late.' Before any of them are fast enough to ask a question— The elder man clicks his heels three times and vanishes from sight. As if summoned by the old man's disappearance, two Silver City patrolmen appear slamming the pub door open. Their dark gray uniforms are only accented by the silver metal of their buttons and buckles, along with waist-length coats with blood-red underlining and sleek gray caps. Their lowly rank is obvious to the onlookers since they do not shine in the dim light like newly minted pennies where the knights of the silver court look positively radiant in their armor on their stark white stallions when they venture from the castle grounds. These two look darker and more sinister. The two soldiers pull the hoods back of patrons, jerking people up from their slumber of drink. They bark at the patrons in a most unbecoming manner. It is not commonplace for the Silver City patrolmen to manhandle citizens as such. The patrons murmur and gripe under their breath, all whisper about the rumors of Merlin's demise their beloved ruler, how his daughters are ruining everything. Have you seen the storyteller? Is the only question the soldiers ask with each new assault. So JP, let's talk about pro writing aid. And as they say on their website, it is the secret to polished and professional writing. As writers, we make the same mistakes. You use pro writing aid, you can get clear Easy steps to improve your writing so you can share your ideas with confidence. Whether you're doing creative writing, business writing, academic writing, just composing an email and you want to sound smart, Pro Writing Aid will help you. And 100%. there's something new. What is it, JP? So Atticus, which is a wonderful program uh, that includes book formatting and it is 
developing aspect for writers so that it can basically be a one-stop shop for writers has an integration with pro writing aid now uh so we've mentioned before that pro writing aid has a lot of integrations with you know google docs and uh, microsoft word and now atticus which just makes uh one it makes that tool atticus really uh shiny and nice for authors that are looking for a one-stop place. But it's just the fact that providing aid can integrate with so many programs so that you're able to use this sort of last line defense before handing it off to someone. Um, it just makes it so much easier. I love using ProWriting Aid because then I don't have people that are editing it looking for simple mistakes that I can find using ProWriting Aid that I can learn from. And instead they're looking at the deeper content and they're able to notate that. Um, so I just find writing it so nice. So I love it when I hear a new integration has happened. Absolutely. Check out ProWritingAid. It will help you be a better writer. ProWritingAid.com. Use our discount code Serial20. S-E-R-I-A-L-20. So JP, let's talk about LaterPress. So LaterPress is a platform built to help authors uh, declare their independence. It lets authors create digital books and sell them directly to their readers through their own branded website. And there are new things uh, coming to the platform every day in terms of discoverability and new features. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. So I actually, I put nerds on later press and it was a really easy and really fast uh, process, which was pretty cool. And one of the cool things was you can put a collection and then you can put your uh, like we put nerds in the collection uh, so that ideally if we do any spinoffs or if we do any like season two or like specifying those pieces, you can put those books in the collection, which yeah. is really nice. And it's a really nice way of like hierarchical, hierarchical uh, pieces to it, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it basically gives you your own website. Ours is nrds.laterpress.com. And you just direct your readers straight there and they see nerds. It, it doesn't get blocked by anything else. There are no ads in the way. There are no, like nothing. It's just straight up nerds content for your readers to get straight to reading, uh, which is uh, different than some other platforms, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And I did the same thing, um, although I uploaded... Uh, all of my books to a collection just so I had one place, you know, to, to direct mm -hmm. readers. And so I have Molecule Thief, Dark is Away, and the Steampunk Emerald Key is up there. So it's one link. People can see all your books and you can order them whatever way you want, uh, you know, or your yeah. cereals. You can put cereals up as well. And uh, yeah, and you can do it on a subscription model or pay per book. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, which was a, a really cool... Yeah. yeah, the pricing thing was pretty cool. Figuring out uh, either doing per book or some type of a subscription model uh, just to kind of give your readers different abilities to uh, support you. Because some people really like the, you know, it's basically like a Patreon, but yep. you just get content to read. Yep. And the cut is just 5%. Yeah. So test it out. Try it out. Yep. Laterpress.com. See you later, press. All right, so we have a grumpy character with a mysterious sack of things. I am curious, what inspired you to write this serial? Uh, it originally started in an online community uh, that I've been a part of for 20 years now. It's a creative writing, writing community where I write one character and you would write another character. And we kind of just back and forth with each other. And the game, I created the game called Second City. 
And the premise was fairy tale characters and real world characters. There was one in each world of the same person. So like Alice in Wonderland and Nancy Duncan were the same like person and they would body swap. Like the fairy tale characters would body swap them. So that's where it started. And I was going to create it as a role playing game, like D20 kind of thing. And it just, my husband's a developer and he just convoluted the numbers to math.game. And I was like, well, that's not what I want. So I wrote a story instead. <laughs> and it started as a NaNoWriMo <laughs> project in uh, 2018. So, wow, that's very cool. So you have, you have a whole bunch of characters from a whole bunch of different places. So I'm really interested to know what character are you excited for the readers to read about and why? Um, My favorite one in this part of the Chronicles is Morgan. Um, You don't really figure out it's Morgan till chapter eight. Uh, She's the baby. Uh, And she's, uh, it's Morgan Le Fay. And so this isn't a retelling of Arthurian legend, as some people have kind of thought it was. It is everything you know about the stories are wrong. It's just wrong. Um, there are pieces of truth in the story, you know, like Morgan and Arthur do consummate at one point and have Mordred, but they weren't brother and sister. And like, you know, that's, yeah, that's, and then like uh, Merlin is a fairy tale character who keeps traversing back and forth kind of thing. And, and you'll, it, you'll see, you see other characters like the Cheshire cat, the white rabbit, uh, Mab, Titania, I mean, we just pull from any kind of literature. Pretty much, I was like, what if they all just lived in this kingdom and, you know, they were normal people in this kingdom? This kingdom was created by Aesop. He's the god of the kingdom, but he, he really was just this dude that was sad and lonely. And there's not a whole lot known about the real Aesop. So I was like, well, this would be kind of cool if we just said, what, what happens when... Aesop's no longer in control. You know, let's just, what happens? And that's sort of like a what if. I don't know if you are into Marvel or whatever. So, um, and then, yeah. So I decided Aesop and Mab create Morgan Le Fay. She's the, you know, she's a pretty powerful being. She uh, has a hot temper like Queen Mab does. And uh, she also has all the bravery and whatnot of Aesop kind of thing. And, she basically takes on all the bad guys, says, that's it. I'm going. We're going to stick it to him. And I, that's what I love about her. So. Excellent. So we just made you pick your favorite character. And now I'm going to make you pick your favorite Grimm's fairy tale or Aesop's fable. And I'm going to have you tell oh, gosh. me why you um, like it so much. I, I don't know. I would... Uh, Gosh, I don't have a favorite. I like them all. Like <laughs> that's really hard. Um, the so what's really funny is I've not read through any of all of them. Like I've just read pieces of all to get character profiles. So like the Aesop fables, I just um, I sort of mashed up Aesop fables with Maguire's Oz. So I don't know if you guys have read Wicked by Maguire. His animals with a big A are like where type creatures. And so that's where mm-hmm. one part of them comes from. And the other part is, you know, 
uh, I made up the name Haverdashel for the hen because it just sounded cool. Um, but she's very much a hen from Aesop's fables. And then the donkey is Aesop and kind of thing. And so that's, I just took little bits and pieces of stories because I purposely didn't want to start retelling pieces and, and my brain would kind of do that. So mm-hmm. I don't have one favorite. I have all of them. I collect. So I don't know if you, Barnes and Noble has those really cool <laughs> um, fancy schmancy books. They're like 25 bucks a piece. I have the whole set. So uh, my husband just got them for me as our anniversary present. So nice. yeah, and that's cool. Very nice. I, I don't think I could pick one either. So I respect. That. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, I don't want to. Yeah, don't anger the gods. No, no exactly. <laughs> what about uh, YA movies or books? Do you have some that you like or you draw inspiration from? Um, I so I read everything. Um, no joke. I read really fast. Um, I've probably read about two hundred this year already um, between Vela stuff and, and real novels. And I tell you, I read like crazy at night because I have a hard time getting to sleep. So my most inspiring is stuff with really good music. Music moves me the most. Uh, Cloud Atlas is one of like, I don't really care for the movie at all, but the soundtrack to Cloud Atlas just really gets you there. Um, Fall of Avalon has a lot of like Lorena McKennett. I have a playlist on Spotify. Um, y'all, um, it's on my website. If you click the little icon for Spotify, it will take you to all the playlists I have for the stories. I went through and renamed them to match the books. So uh, you'll be able to see all the different pieces. And I went for kind of a witchy vibe listening to it and kind of a drummer's Celtic vibe. So, um, but uh, other movies that really inspired me um, Into the Woods. I like musicals. Um, and it's kind of that be careful what you wish for, you know, type stuff. Uh, books. Uh, I love the Wicked series. Uh, Anne Rice's Adventures of Sleeping Beauty. You know, um, that was one that inspired me. Uh, what other physical ones have I read? The Outlander series is like, I burned through that whole series. <laughs> I am one of those people that as soon as the book comes out, I read it. And it takes me like two or three days to read the whole thing. So um, it kills me that she releases the tiny paperbacks two years after she releases the other ones. So I go check it out at the library, read the hardback, and then I get the little paperback to match my set because I they all have to be the same size. So, yeah. uh, so there you go. So as someone who is aspiring to maybe read 200 books in a year, I'm curious, how did you get yourself to that pace and what kind of tips or tricks do you have to someone that is looking to read more books? Um, So 20 plus years ago, my senior year of high school, I took, I didn't have to take English because I was in whatever program they were in. So I had enough credits to graduate and my friend Misty she was struggling and wanted help. So I took the two English classes with her. And the second half of it was all about reading and literature. And they kind of taught you to speed read, like where you, you dart your eye across the page. And that is where it started. But I also, it puts me to sleep. Reading puts me to sleep. And so mm-hmm. I will read, it takes about two hours from the time I start reading till I get sleepy. And then my phone will whack me in the face if I'm using my phone. <laughs> so, so be careful because I have a heavy brick phone. I have one of the Z-folds. 
and it's all like right in the face so um yeah and uh but for people to get there just when you got a break read you know velas are perfect for that by the way if you're if you have to go to the restroom even if it's a quick trip you could read about 600 words in about two to three minutes give or take um so and it's not really about word count or novel count i don't even really keep track i'm terrible at goodreads just so you know i have it there and i'm like oh yeah i should probably go mark that but uh I never do. Um, but I'm also terrible at telling people I read their stuff. Um, Cause I will, Oh, I'm supposed to go read. So, but somebody's thing, who was it? You know, like and my library, I don't unfollow because it makes me feel bad. when I see that Bella has a weird thing about it shows you unfollowed and I'm like, Oh, I don't want them to see. I did it. You know, like, so <laughs> I'm so weird. Um, but that's, for people, just start reading. And you don't have to read like hundreds of pages at once. Um, I love to read. And, you know, so I will read hundreds of pages at once. But I also, you know, so like today, I had 14 meetings today at work. And two of them, I didn't have to do anything. I just had to be present. So I read during those whole meetings kind of thing. Um, hope my boss never hears this. So uh, <laughs> she'll laugh. If she does. So, But that's, that's my advice to people is just start reading. You don't have to read fast. And 200 books in a year is a great goal. Um, you'd be surprised how many books you actually read. Um, so if you look at it this way, an average Veladvest episode is 1,500 words. So 1,500 times 30 is 7,500 words or 75,000 words, right? Is that 1,500 times 30? Yeah math class now uh that's a novel so so if you 30 episodes at an average of 1500 you've read a novel so just keep that in perspective kind of very nice yeah i like that that's good math <laughs> so i'm curious about in your serial do you mind giving us a little insight into how the magic works in the world of nod like are there wishes um that have certain constraints or how does that all work wishes are the most powerful thing in all of nod um, when you say the magic words, I wish, uh, the wish grantor, so you have to be careful because wishes come true, not free, and they're never easy to acquire. So, for example, I wish to not need glasses. Great. In order to do that, I need to take one of your eyes and give you a glass eye. Kind of, you know, like there can be anything. It's, it's the wish grantor basically can do it. And Grimm's are essentially gods. Um, so it's funny that uh, we kind of lumped all of the authors into Grimm's. So if you notice, Jacob and Wilhelm, William Shakespeare, Lewis Carroll, Hans Christian Andersen, they're all brothers and they're all Grimm's um, because Aesop's a Grimm and they're all descended from Aesop. And uh, spoiler, their <laughs> mother is Scheherazade. So. And uh, they, uh, she's not in the story yet, but um, if you're reading my serial, you will see where she does pop up. Um, I'll let you all guess. So that's kind of, it's a fun thing about serial. Um, but they, once a wish is granted, it cannot be ungranted. Um, you can counter a wish, but uh, it usually has dire consequences. And then other magic is just, it's like, for example, pixie dust, and I briefly talk about pixie dust, is a very addictive 
mind-controlling drug. So Tinkerbell is evil and Neverland is a prison. It was built by J.M. Barry, one of the Grimm's, to keep her because she was hunted and sought after for her pixie dust. Her and the other fairies, they created this prison island and uh, he's been trapped there since. So like Captain Hook is a warden of Neverland kind of thing. So if you see kind of where we take pieces of stories and we're just like, oh, well, what if this is what it means for real? And uh, I don't want to give any more of that away because Neverland becomes important later um, in, I think, verse three. So book three. Uh, and, uh, but that kind of thing. And basically, there's no holds bar. Uh, mm-hmm. Magic is what I need it to be. So magic is the need of plot. Kind of. <laughs> I don't know if you ever watch, uh, I think it's, who, who talked about it? Josh Whedon talked about ships fly at the speed of plot. In, in all the sci-fi things. So that's magic is the need of plot. So. That's accurate. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so you've given us so much, but I'm curious, what is one thing uh, additional about the story that you want listeners to know or to be excited about? Um, that this is a fairy tale in itself. So good guys do win. Um, so it just shows you that you kind of have to work what you want work for what you want and that nothing comes for free and as you can see the people who are trying to get things for free for example the six they can't find Aesop Nation anymore it was in the middle of the whole of Nod and now it's whenever they go into the forest something terrible happens so and uh, you'll see at the end of the book what has been happening um, and uh I don't want to spoil it for anybody that wants to guess, but that's, uh, it's, this is really kind of, you know, eventually we're going to talk about war because we end up with World War II later in the series and potentially Vietnam War, kind of, because, so what's happening is low gear or England is all at war in the Arthurian legend kind of thing because nod has gone bananas so if you you kind of see the trend they go one goes to the other and uh that translates later into the books as our intrepid heroes go for to save the day that's fantastic so i want to know a little bit more about your writing especially do you still write fan fiction Yes, uh, the only stories I write fan fiction for are Star Wars, and uh, I have a character that I have played, oh gosh, the better part of 12 years now. Her name's Dakota Jane Malone, oh, Bishop now, she's married, sorry, Um, and she's an X-Wing pilot, and she has been with the um, Rebels since... Uh, Mon Mothma signed at the Phoenix Charter. And if you don't know anything about Star Wars, from the beginning. Um, she's from Chandra which is the same planet Mon Mothma is. And she is pretty badass. I mean, she's, she's the poster girl of the Republic kind of thing. And she fought all through the Rebel stuff. She was at the Battle of Yavin, which is when the biggest Death Star blew up. She's one of the X-Wing groups that flew with Luke, and then she uh, she's still flying today with Resistance with Poe Dameron. So we kind of have a story um, 
it's really kind of cool because her husband was an imperial when they met. He captured her and they kind of, it was this whole like love hate thing. It's part of that gaming community. It started as that. And then it just has built, we've written, I'm writing with the eight of the guys from the original squad. Um, my ex-husband and all of our friends are in that group. So it's really great fun. Um, and then now my current husband's also joined the group. So they're all pilots. They're all this elite phantom squad stuff. Um, so it's really kind of cool, but yeah, that's the only fan fiction I still write. Um, I would probably write Harry Potter still if I weren't mad at its mm-hmm. author. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> it makes it, it makes it hard for me to get into that creative mindset because I get very upset about it. So that's so part of the writing magic there. If I get mad, doesn't happen. So, <laughs> so I'm curious because you've mentioned a couple of times, uh, like role-playing games playing a part in your writing. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if you want to expand a little bit more on that and maybe give us some of your favorites that have inspired your writing. Um, so... Uh, every one of my books has come from a role play session. Um, the fall of Avalon came from a bit, all those people that I played with on, it's called infinity bound is the chat site. And, uh, I basically paired it back to the characters I needed for the story and tried not to make any characters that they were playing. You know, like if I'm going to take one that they were playing, it's going to be a different character altogether because I don't want to do all that. And uh, (laughs) then, uh, so it's really interesting. So, like, my husband and I do this thing we call play talk, and it's verbal improv. Uh, So, for example, the conversations between uh, Morgan. And anybody that's male in the book are usually between my husband and I kind of working that out because he has a better male voice than I do at the moment. So it kind of gives that guys wouldn't say that or girls wouldn't say that. And we've done that with all of our books. Billy Coe is the like werewolf representation of my husband. Like, <laughs> I don't know how to explain it any better. It's, he's a paladin. Um, and, you know, that... It's really kind of a cool way. So the writing piece of it is I write a paragraph and do like an action, a reaction, and kind of describe the scene. Then Christine would hop in and her character would react to whatever my character did. And she'd describe the scene from her perspective. So it's like writing multiple POV only Mm -hmm. live. So you learn to write it fast. Like it takes me about 15 to 20 minutes to crank out about 700 words in response to somebody um give or take depending grammar's not very great and spelling you know it's because it's meant to be just a fun game and then you know you can pretty much do anything like if you need dice you can roll dice to settle things or you just kind of work it out but almost all of the books start from role play that my husband and I have done verbally. So like the entire Wolf Legacy series, all those books, there's like a bazillion, trust me. Um, they're mapped out on the spreadsheet because we played them out so far through time. Um, and then like Fall of Avalon, he was kind of sad panda because I wrote probably 90% of Fall of Avalon for Nana Remo without him before he even knew I was really into this stuff. And then he came back with a big heavy red pen we're going through the edits right now 
And I was like, you're making my artist soul cry here, dude. So, and, uh, but that's, it's really that kind of just quick improv gaming so that you can just get out there and do whatever you need to do. So Nice. So I'm curious because Vela is supposedly has a participation component as well. Have you had any audience feedback or interaction in your story? (sighs) People have, uh, so I've had very little, uh, but my polls are all silly. I, they are, one of them was, did you know that I have a website? And all the answers said something like, yes, here's the website. No, here's the website. Maybe, you know, like all of them. It was just a funny way to say, hey, go to my website. And uh, another one is like uh, in fall of Avalon, I think there's one later that it's like, should they go left or right kind of thing? And I really didn't even look at it. Like, I just was like, whatever, because I already had the story written out. Um, in uh, the Night Rangers, it the polls are hilarious to me. Like, do you think he did that on purpose? Yes, no, duh kind of stuff and so that's the most feedback i get um i have one super fan from work she and i've been co-workers for four years and she found out that i did this writing stuff and she's like hurry up you're not writing fast enough she's waiting for uh oh the second book of mistress giselle kind of thing so but she loves fall of avalon but her favorite stuff is the other stuff um Fall of Avalon's actually gotten the most response, which I like because it's the probably most marketable, in my opinion. I hate to sound like it's most marketable, but uh, it's it is more family friendly. It is PG thirteen versus all the romance stuff I write, which is not PG thirteen on any level, and uh, <laughs> and uh, and it also I think there's something about classic literature because most of our stuff comes from classic literature that people just love like especially Arthurian legend I you know everybody's like oh a retelling of Arthur and I'm like well it's not a retelling but have fun you know I don't stop them because it does have Arthur Wayne Morgan Merlin Galahad it will have Lancelot at some point um it'll have a Guinevere um I air quote because you'll see that what it really means and uh, and that kind of stuff. So, yes, I get a lot of, I actually bemoaned on my personal Facebook about nobody loves, nobody reacts. And suddenly all my posts are getting love now. Uh, but I kind of, I'm a weird little duck. I want to be popular and I don't want to be popular. Like I'm, I'm ha- kind of happy with, where I'm at on Vela. I mean, I get reads every day. I very, very rarely have goose eggs. Um, a couple days in April and May, but I literally did not do any kind of promotional work for those two months because I've been moving cross country with this horrible move. And, uh, and sorry, the window looks weird. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, I also get a lot of people that go, why haven't I found this story before? When I do, like today, oh my goodness, today in Hellavella, I posted all six into the two-day thing. And people are like, I've never seen this before. And I'm like, really? I 
post these all the time. Like, so, um, which just tells me I have to post them individually instead of as a big mass mm-hmm. one. So that's, I find I get more people reading when I individual post versus mass post. And then I don't want to spam the groups because I have six stories. So I'm like, okay. But that's why I use the tags too. I really wish Vela would, I don't necessarily want people to comment to me because people can be mean. Um, but I'd like to be able to provide some kind of thank you for liking or reply to the reviews or something. I had one guy who was like, this is a Black Widow knockoff to my Night Rangers cover. I'm like, well, the artist drew that. I don't know what to tell you. She's not that character, you know? So like, but so like I said, it's, I get some feedback and I get no feedback on things. Uh, Things Mm -hmm. I think will do really well. Don't get any feedback. And then things that I'm like, really, that's what you like, you know, like, (laughs) Oh, chaos. I love it. So as a final question, what do you like most about writing serial fiction? So I'm terrible at serial fiction. Um, I write novels and pretend it's a serial. Uh, my first serial is coming soonish. And it's uh, what I like about it is that it can just go on forever. You never end the story. Like, happy ever after? Great. Something bad happens. No, <laughs> so far. I don't know. Um, I've read... A lot on another app, uh, or I read this one, it's like 180 some episodes. So to give you perspective, that's like five novels. And uh, that's a lot for a story. But then you got to look at Outlander. That's the equivalent of like 14 novels, if you count it as regular novel size. They're humongous novels, by the way. I don't know if you've ever seen the Outlander books. She does not write a normal novel. She writes like three novels in one. So, and I read that up like, candy so like or eat it up like candy it's not eat it up like candy but uh so i like the fact that if somebody falls in love with my characters i can just keep writing that story like i have another fan she wants me to do a like alternative universe for one of the stories because she likes the villain character better than the main character and she wants (laughs) the story to go that way so i've been kind of outlining what would happen if that had gone that way um as a potential reader magnet to get people in. Um, and I may just create a serial called, you know, I don't want to call it what if, cause that's Marvel's thing, but the, uh, you know, just this could happen or, you know, just something like that where you, and then take any of my stories and say, well, if we change this one moment in the story, how does the story spin off in its own thing? Um, so that's the best part of serials is you can do whatever you want. Uh, my other challenge to myself by the end of, next year is to do a choose your own adventure so that at the end of an episode it says choose this path skip to episode blank you know kind of thing like a real choose your own adventure kind of thing so um the polls will help with that if they don't take them away kind of thing so i'm looking forward to that too and the covers covers are my other fun part so (laughs) nice excellent well thank you so much for sitting down and talking with us no problem this is great fun i hope you all love my stories (laughs) (laughs) of course our thanks today to jr fromling for letting us share their episode if you liked it you can read the first three episodes free on kendall vela or check out the serial and later press the link is in the show notes and And that's that's a wrap
Okay, good to see you. Go okay. have a nap. Bye. Oh, I'm not going to nap. I'm still working. Okay, work and then go have a nap. Okay. Okay. You have a nap. Bye. I'm going to. That's my plan. Bye. <laughs>